pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today, we're going to be continuing with the Autism Podcast series, and we're going to be talking about expressive language development. Now, truthfully, (laughs) in autism, now, truthfully, this could be, let me start that over. Sorry about that. Okay. Hi, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today, we're continuing the Autism Podcast series, and we're going to be talking about expressive language development in toddlers and preschoolers with red flags for autism or those who have already been diagnosed. Now, truthfully... This could be its own series of shows in and of itself, and this is a lot of information. So I'm breaking this down into two different shows, 408 and 409. So if you watch this one, be sure to catch the next episode, too, so that you're not left with just half the information. And in case you're wondering, this is all from my newest treatment manual, the Autism Workbook, Developing Speech Therapy Treatment Plans for Toddlers and Preschoolers uh, with Red Flags for ASD. And you can find out information about that in the post here on YouTube, or if you're listening uh, through your podcast app, you can go to teachmetotalk.com and look for show 408 to get the written handout and CE credit if you're a therapist. Now, let's uh, talk about autism, and let me just say, this morning in preparation, kind of final preparation for the podcast today, I popped over to uh, cdc.org and just looked at the latest information about autism, and if you are a therapist practicing in early intervention or another pediatric setting, be sure that you look at that information from time to time, because they update it, and that is so critical for sharing pieces of information and answering questions from parents and families and even other therapists sometimes. So uh, take a look at that information and just the, the prevalence rates, just the one in 54 kids in the U.S. has autism or will be diagnosed with autism by the time they're eight. And that is just stunning to me. I remember about a decade ago when the marker crossed below 100 and I thought, that's it. We're just never going to see more than this. This is an epidemic. This is, this is important. This is scary. <laughs> Yet it has. It's even... Um, increase since that time. So again, I just want to encourage you as a professional to take a look at that information so that you can always be the most current that you can be. Now, remember when we're talking about expressive language development and autism, we're going to work on that with kids for a long, long time. And because that is one of the hallmarks of autism, difficulty with social interaction and communication with other people, again, kids are going to focus on this. And we can't talk about everything excuse me, that we could talk about in this show. So we're going to just limit this to the earliest stages of language acquisition for children. But let me just say, we're talking about a developmental age here and not a chronological age. So if you are watching or you are listening and you are working with or you are parenting a child who is five or six or eight (laughs) and not talking, the things that we are going to discuss in today's show and next time's show, 408 and 409, are so relevant for those kids because we are looking at where they are developmentally and again not chronologically Um, so I just wanted to be sure and mention that all right so let's begin today's show with a super brief review of what we've covered so far in the autism series and this is why this is important so many parents and even sometimes therapists (laughs) when we are looking for specific answers for a specific child We will skip ahead. We will look at a series like this or maybe take a tool like the Autism Workbook and think, okay, so this kid's not talking, so I am just going to skip ahead to the expressive language strategies and see what I can get going there. That is so dangerous for us as professionals and as parents because sometimes when we do that, we miss the real root of the problem or what's really causing, for lack of a better word, uh, that child to get an autism diagnosis or causing that child to still be nonverbal. 
So we have got to really always keep in mind how important pre-linguistic skills are and prerequisite skills are. And so we've looked at that throughout this series and we started out talking about social development and social interaction, how important it is for kids to establish that connection with you first before you begin to talk, before we begin to uh, work on talking with a child. And why do we do that? Because until we have a child connected to us and engaged with us, he's not there yet. He's not developmentally ready to learn how to communicate because it always takes two people and that nice back and forth that reciprocity is what we want to see before we think about anything else for a child so go if if you're again just kind of joining us mid-series for this show go back and and listen to these first shows and watch these first few shows so that you can get caught up and you can maybe identify oh we haven't even thought about that or we haven't worked on that or I didn't even know this was important and so especially as a parent you want to be sure that you are getting all of these foundational skills in first and I like to use this analogy anytime I talk to parents about language delays but it is so relevant and so applicable when we're talking about autism and and we kind of uh use the analogy of building a house and so until we get the the things in place that are foundational we can't get to the roof (laughs) which is talking and so we've got to really look again at the things that come first so that a child has a stable foundation to be able to acquire uh, expressive language all right so we talked about social skill development that's back in show number 403 so if you still have a, a kid who is not really staying with you when you were talking to him or playing with him and he doesn't really listen when you talk to him and he seems to avoid language he he hears other noises but somehow with words just not as connected to that. So social skill interaction is where you want to start with that. The next piece with that was joint attention and turn taking. And we have to have this first and this makes so much sense because until a kid is really with you and staying with you and paying attention for longer and longer periods of time we just know that understanding and using words are going to be very, very difficult for that child. Uh, Play skills, play and language development are so closely connected and a child's language skills are never going to outpace his play skills. So when we work on uh, the nonverbal pieces like this, like play skills, which essentially is um, a demonstration of a child's cognition or even his motor coordination, it's when we don't look at those things again, it can be a big, big mistake. And that leads right into receptive language, which we looked at back two shows ago in 407. And as I said over and over in that show, until a child understands words, he's not going to be able to use those words meaningfully. And we see this a lot in kids with autism. They can say things, but they're not really connecting meaning to those words yet, especially with their echolalic phrases or their holistic phrases. So go back and listen to show 406, (coughs) excuse me, so that you can change your focus and anytime I have a verbal kid with autism and they're still that I, I know that there's still some big gaps receptive language is just where I just know from the beginning that is going to make the biggest difference with that child if I can really help him understand and process language better even the words that he's already saying that's going to make a big difference in how he's able to communicate and so when you've addressed all of those prerequisite areas then and only then are you ready to start talking about and looking at expressive language development and so last show we talked about imitation and that's that's show 407 and that really pardon me is the first piece excuse me while I get a drink uh, the first piece of expressive language development so the show the strategies that we're going to talk about in this show today are really designed for kids who are already imitating so it verbally so if you have skipped ahead like we started talking about don't do that go back and really really look at those prerequisite skills and even if you're going to still listen to the show today and even the one next time that we're going to release with the second part of expressive language development know that these strategies may not be as successful for you until you get some of those other foundational pieces in place all right so Today we're going to be talking about mostly verbal communication or talking, but know that these same 
areas that we'll be discussing are also relevant to any child who's using another system for expressive language. So it could be signs or pictures or a speech generating device. But just know that primarily we will be talking about talking today. So uh, let's start off with what so many parents want to know at the beginning. Will my kid with autism ever be able to talk? Research really varies in this too. Sometimes you'll look at a website that says 40% of uh, kids or people with autism are nonverbal. And I, I think that I like the other statistics. I like the other studies that say 70 to 80% of kids with autism will talk, especially when we start their intervention plans as early as possible. We know that autism can be reliably diagnosed by two, but sadly, so many kids aren't diagnosed until they are much, much older, even in the U.S. And so, again, we want to really, really get that intervention going early. And even if we're not calling it autism yet, because so many parents parents are uh, afraid to get that diagnosis. They don't want their child labeled. They, for whatever reason, are working through that acceptance piece, which again, gosh, I am, I am not um, belittling that at all. That is a long process to work through that for parents. But even if we're not calling it, what that diagnosis will eventually be is so important to get that uh, intervention going early. And we're not only talking about speech, but we're talking about occupational therapy, perhaps ABA. If a child has really significant impairments, and if you are, and again, that's best practice to really get ABA going as well with all of these other um, services that can really look at that whole child, not just one little piece. But again, the likelihood of becoming a functional communicator greatly increases when we begin early intervention with the child. Another study that I'm going to share with you is a study back done in 2013 that says that even if a kid, we, we used to think in autism, if a kid isn't talking by four or five, that's it. He's just not going to be verbal. We can just let it go because we, and, and the rationale with that was that the earliest period of development, that birth to three or birth to five is so critical for language development that if a child hasn't gotten there, it's not likely to happen. Thankfully, we know that is absolutely not true <laughs> and that up to 70% <clears throat> excuse me, of children with autism who are nonverbal at four will become fluent speakers by the time that they're seven or eight. And that is good news. So if you, or I'm sorry, the 70% was that they'll use uh, phrases and then 49% of those kids even become fluent speakers. So if you are a parent or if you are excuse me, a therapist working with children who are five and six and seven and still nonverbal, there's still a lot of hope. There's still a lot of room for improvement, especially when we get these strategies in place. All right, so let's, why, why is all this direct treatment necessary? Why am I making such a big deal about this? And you may be thinking, it's because she's a speech therapist and that's how she makes her money. That's not it. <laughs> it's because the research is there and because my experience of almost 30 years really tells me, again, that this, we have got to work on, we've got to work with these specific things with these kids. Kids are not going to out grow autism. And let me say it again, <laughs> kids will not grow autism, outgrow autism. And so um, as a parent, that may be something that you already knew, but haven't really thought about. And as a therapist, that again, that is your plug for getting kids in therapy as often and as early as we can get them. And, and again, why is this necessary? Because kids with autism learn language differently. You may do some of the same things as a speech language pathologist or another therapist that you would do with a kid who has another diagnosis or will eventually get another diagnosis. But you've got to understand these differences going in, because if not, you can waste some time because you are still kind of floundering with what's going on here. Why is this stuff not working? When you know, when you know up front these differences, it will make a difference with what you do later. And so the first big difference that kids with autism have when they're learning language is that they are gestalt learners. Now, what does that mean? If that's a new word for you, gestalt, G-E-S-T-A-L-T. And I mispronounce it all the time, but uh, just, just this means that 
kids learn language in chunks, and that includes both receptively or what they understand, their comprehension piece, and expressively. So that means that kids with autism are red flags for autism process and store longer units of speech, not individual words, during that early uh, stage of language acquisition. So a kid, instead of learning uh, those single words like we think about ball and shoe and mom and bye-bye and those kinds of things, they may learn phrases from movies or phrases that you frequently say to them. And just by the way, some kids who do not have autism also learn language like this too, but more often than not, kids with typically developing language systems um, learn as single units or as words. So let me give you an example of this. So this was a kid that I saw back in say 2006 or so, so it's been maybe 15 years now, and he was... Um, he was certainly on the spectrum, but undiagnosed it too. And so his parents were wonderful, highly educated people. Mom was a pediatrician. Dad was some kind of researcher at a university. And so with this kid, uh, again, super, super family, uh, at Christmas time, I was seeing him and mom bought some little Fisher Price Christmas characters. And so she brought out the first character and said, look, it's Santa. And so guess what that kid called Santa? all through that holiday season. He didn't say Santa. He said what? He said, it's Santa. So that's a really good example of how a kid kind of learns in chunks. He thought that was Santa's whole name. It's Santa. And so that was fine when we were asking him a question like, who's that? You know, it's Santa made sense. But then when he was just playing and talking and he would say things like, bye-bye, it's Santa, or it's Santa eat, or uh, it's Santa flies, you can see how that um uh, that example, how, how that learning in chunks really uh, separates him from a kid who just learned uh, the name correctly or accurately, but it's just such a, a good example of that. And I think about it all the time, and I've used it over and over and over again to explain to parents how kids, again, process. It's not that he just said it wrong. He, he processed it processed it like that as well. And so we have to think about that with kids. Other common examples are, are kids that you'll, they'll walk up to their parent and say, hold you, hold you. And they've learned from their parents saying, do you want me to hold you? They've lifted that whole little phrase. And kids with typically developing language systems may also say things like that. But when their parents correct it or recast it, they'll say, oh, say, hold me, hold me. You want me to hold you, so you have to say hold me. Kids can, with typically developing systems, can switch those pronouns. And kids with autism and even other kinds of language disorders will have a lot of difficulty with that. So that's another example of how that uh, gestalt learning, how they are learning and processing in a whole chunk. And so... Um, Again, those errors are, are those, um, I, I hate to call them errors, those mistakes. I don't know a better word for that. But when they're doing that, it is a little harder to um, change or correct or modify, how, however you want to think about that, than kids with those uh, more uh, typically developing systems. And so this is what happens when we don't consider these that difference and these other differences that we're going to talk about when we're focusing on just the expressive language piece without working on all those things that have to come first and without knowing all of these uh, little uh, differences here, we end up with kids that are talking but not really communicating. They can say lots and lots of words, but they really don't know how to use those words. And even though kids with autism learn language differently, it doesn't mean that they can't learn language. And so we have to get beyond teaching them these rote pieces, which so many of our other friends and other fields kind of want to do. We want to look at this really from more of a behavioral, or I'm sorry, a developmental aspect rather than behavioral so that we can look and, and and work on facilitating true language development, not just a kid who echoes or who has learned, I'm going to take this little phrase and say this, and I'm going to take this little phrase and say this. You know, I've had kids with autism that I've worked with that I've come onto a team late, or they've 
come to see me kind of after they have everything else going and they've worked exclusively on I want phrases. And then a kid walks around all day saying, I want, I want, I want. And he doesn't put anything in <laughs> um, the, the blank there. And so that's the kind of problem that we get when we just focus on the talking without really looking at all of those underlying pieces like comprehension, like a child's play skill so he can build uh, cognitive skills, like uh, interaction, like joint attention and turn taking. So you've got to, again, put it all together so that we end up with a kid who communicates and does that, that it's not just talking. And even though, let me say this one more thing about this kind of as a prerequisite. So many times, even though it looks like talking might be the only issue or, or not talking with a kid with autism or who will go on to be diagnosed with autism, it never is. All of these other things that come into play really, really matter and really make a difference. And so we have to look at those other pieces and know these differences or we're never going to get at the real root of the problem. And then, again, a kid won't really have functional language. He's just got these these little phrases that, again, look like splinter skills because those other pieces are missing. So when we get a kid to the point that we know that he can verbally imitate words, we're going to look at this next piece of language development. Now, as speech language pathologists, you are really familiar with this, but sometimes we lose our way <laughs> because we, we've been trained this way. They beat it into our heads in graduate school how we need to look at language. But then, we again, we get out into the real world and we start working with the educators and OTs and PTs and ABA colleagues and these other fields. And we kind of lose our way with, like, looking at how language really, really develops. And so we can get a kid to that imitative stage, which ABA does beautifully. But after that, we have got to really, again, look at these these areas of language and, and, and look at these differences that a kid is having and then know how to assess that. And then next week, we're going to walk, uh, walk further into this and talk about how to treat these things. But today, we're really, really looking at these three big categories of language development. Now, if you are not a speech language pathologist, do not let this professional terminology uh, intimidate you. Just listen to this because I'm going to explain it so that it makes sense to you. But because this is a continuing education course for therapists, I want to use the professional terminology too so that we kind of are all on the same page and everybody's getting their needs met. So the three big areas that we're going to talk about today are vocabulary development, meaning language meaning, and SLPs refer to this as semantics. We're going to also look at utterance length and language forms and if you're a parent or another therapist this is early grammar is how you might think about this uh, and again SLPs would refer to this as syntax and the third area is pragmatics and that would be how a kid uses his language so language use or communicative functions and so let's just call these let's don't call these the the SLP terminology was semantics syntax and pragmatics let's just use vocabulary development which makes a lot of sense to whoever you're talking about they get that you you're talking about the number of uh, words that a child uses we're talking about again what he understands that whole content piece the second piece there instead of saying syntax let's look at that as early grammar and utterance length and then again with the pragmatic piece let's look at it as language use and communicative function so why are we going to do it this way I've, I've said it this is about the third time I've said this so and this is one of your questions on your uh, CE assessment your self-assessment why do we do it this way because this when we look at language this way <clears throat> in a child with autism we are supporting true <clears throat> excuse me expressive language development rather than that behavioral model where they just emphasize talking so that's why this is so so important all right so what was this first area vocabulary development language content so let's go back and look at some of these problems these differences so that again when we start to talk about treatment next time on the next show we'll um you'll have an understanding of, of again what we're looking for and why we're looking for it so one of the biggest problems with this first area with vocabulary development is that kids with autism can often lack vocabulary diversity 
So what do I mean by that? It means that they may stick to one kind of word (laughs) and use it exclusively. And I've talked about this a lot on the show. And if you are a therapist and have worked for a while, you may have seen this too. Sometimes we will get children who do not qualify for a state early intervention program or maybe even a school-based program. pardon me, because they have too many words. So a parent will say something like, you'll you'll come in for intake, that family will come in for intake, and they'll say, how many words does she have? And a parent will say 250 or so. And the therapist does what? She wants to close the book and say, she doesn't need me, she's fine, a 250-word vocabulary, she'll be okay. That's terrible because a lot of times we get those kids, and again, you may have done this too, where a child will have, you know, 250 words, but 240 of those words are nouns. (laughs) And she's learned all those from an app or looking at flashcards because that's the thing that she likes to do. And, you know, maybe somebody really uh, reinforced that. So that's one of her main play activities, just sitting and looking at cards and naming them. And again, that's wonderful that a child will have that many single words, but you can't communicate and and make phrases when the only part of speech in your vocabulary is a noun. I mean, you can say things like mom's hat or, you know, mom hat or dad's shoe. You know, again, we're leaving off those little possessive S's there. We'll talk about that in a minute when we get to syntax. But it's hard. And so we have to really look at not only the number of words that a kid has, but how many parts of speech are in there. And so because of that, when kids lack that, or I'll tell you another thing that kids with autism do a lot, is they will stick to um, just having language that really um, is related to their specific fixation or obsession. So you may get a kid who loves shapes. And so I'll, you know, you'll say to a mom, how many, or, and colors, let's do both of those. They'll say super visual and he likes shapes and colors. And so you'll say to a mom, how many words does he have? And she says 25. And you think, oh, well, that's pretty good. But then uh, you'll say, okay, let's talk about what those words are. And then she says red, blue, yellow, octagon, circle, triangle. It, you get my idea, right? Right. And so with that, he's not going to be able to do very much with those 25 words other than label Maybe his puzzle pieces or label of the shapes that come up in his favorite little app or on his iPad or any kind of little game that he would have. You know, that's it. And so, again, because of this, because of that lack of diversity and because they kind of get stuck in in what they like, you know, that that's a real problem for us. And so as SLPs, it's a starting point when kids have that kind of language. And we're never going to say any word is, you know, not useful because we're always going to find uh, a, a context where they've learned it and so it is relevant for that child but they're not as functional as they could be because they don't have as many words from as many different categories and so we want to really really uh, be able to look at that and here's another problem when kids a lot of times parents don't don't really recognize this until we point it out a kid may be able to say a word as a label but not be able to use that word in another context and so a kid may be able to look at her uh, let's just say a little leapfrog toy which is a real example from a kid that I treated years and years ago and she would be able to label the foods on her leap uh frog toy with you know something like banana but then when you go into the kitchen and she clearly wants a banana she cannot retrieve that word to say my mom says what do you want what do you want tell me what you want you know as the kid is crying and really really upset she cannot come up with banana for anything and that's not because she doesn't know banana she can label it she just can't use banana pragmatically to request or to answer when mom says what do you want to eat and so again it's it goes beyond just uh how many words a kid uses or or how many words a kid says. We've got to look at how a kid is able to use that. All right, so that's a big, big problem with semantics there. And so uh, the strategy of introducing words that match what a kid likes, so if a kid likes to label lots of pictures like that, that's great, but we just got to find a way to expand it. Or if a kid is really stuck on, you know, shapes, colors, letters, or numbers, he's super visual, like lots of our little friends with autism tend to be, you know, we've got to really go beyond that and help a kid learn 
to use more familiar, more functional words as well. All right, so that was semantics. That's a big, big problem with semantics with kids is that lack of vocabulary diversity in kids who are already talking with autism. The second big area of language that we assess and treat for kids is that <clears throat> the syntax or the language form. And so we look at two big things here. We look at utterance length and so is he just using single words or does he combine those words into phrases? And then also that early, uh, those early grammatical markings. So this would be things like verb tenses, uh, uh, plurals, those possessive S's. When we add those extra S's, the, that changes it. So a word like cat is an SLP. When we say cats, you know, that MLU or that mean length of utterance, you know, is bumped up from that that single unit there. And I may be getting a little bit too technical <laughs> for our very broad audience here, but my point is this, this area of language development is huge. And a lot of times in early intervention, we don't really think about these early grammatical markings, but so important as children uh, mature and get older, we need their language to match that as well. And so let's look again, I've, I've kind of gone ahead Let, let's break this down a little bit more so with utterance length what's the problem with utterance length with a lot of kids with autism we've already talked about it back when we were talking about semantics some kids with autism when they are late talkers learn to only use single words and so they have difficulty bumping up to phrases. And so that's a big problem with utterance length. And, uh, you know, I was when I told you earlier, I was looking at that research this morning uh, on uh, CDC.org, that Centers for Disease Control website, where they uh, have done such a nice job of summarizing the information about autism. And it said the average age for a child uh, who's on the spectrum and to start to use single words is 36 months and that's fantastic that we can get our kids using some single words at three but when you compare him even to kids with language delays who have bumped up to <laughs> some short phrases those single words there you know we've got to get that utterance length bumped up and this is another big problem in kids with autism who also have motor planning issues and so we talked about this on last week's show with apraxia uh, over 60 percent of kids with autism will have a dual diagnosis with apraxia and so that is another reason that they are having difficulty uh, talking acquiring words and then it becomes uh, because of that difficulty with sequencing uh, uh, it becomes a problem with syntax because they can't bump up to that next language level where they're combining two words because they have difficulty with sequencing and combining anyway but from the speech aspect not just the language aspect if you're an SLP I'm sure you understood that <laughs> but for a parent Speech and language are two different things. Speech is really your articulation piece or getting the right sounds in the right places. And language is more your vocabulary, the content, what you're actually saying. And so when we're looking at a kid with autism who has difficulty with the language piece, you know, that's the, the true kind of autism piece of this. He has difficulty understanding and using these words to socially interact and communicate with other people. We also have kids who have difficulty with the speech part or getting, again, right sounds in the right places, combining sounds, uh, sequencing sounds so that those words are intelligible. And kids with apraxia sometimes stay at that single syllable, which would more closely relate to a single word rather than they do with phrases. So that, that makes it hard, too. That's another big problem that we see in kids with autism that certainly impacts how they're learning language. Um, Another group of kids with autism we've already talked about are these kids who speak in holistic phrases that we've already used the term echolalia or echo. And so they lift, you know, that we talked about being that uh, gestalt learner where they're lifting and learning or comprehending in chunks and then saying those things back in chunks. You know, this is a problem because those kids, again, they're sometimes as SLPs and even as parents, we overestimate their language skills because they may say, a phrase like I did it or I got it and we're giving them credit for pronouns and three word phrases when honestly they just learned that as one big chunk. So with those kids we have to really really be careful that we are meeting them where they are and that we are not trying to teach a whole lot of other phrases for those kids using pieces you know we, we can certainly do that and we'll talk about that later what what that means but what we want to talk about right now is that that lack of single words you know we're giving them credit for um 
syntactical skills that they really don't have yet because it's pulled from that those holistic phrases and those echolalic phrases that they use. And so we have to be really, really careful with that as well so that we are not... Um, overestimating a child's skills and again the reason that we don't want to do that is because we don't there's a gap there we should be working with him down here and thinking about his language down here and treating him here rather than up here where we think he's already really acquired phrases when in his mind that whatever he's to infinity and beyond is one long word you know not to infinity and beyond not four words okay so you have to really really be careful with that and as a therapist you know this but sometimes we don't explain this to parents as clearly as we should or sometimes and I've shared this example on the show before when I uh, gosh would really really accompany lots of families to that initial IEP when they are transitioning from early intervention systems to um, the school system the public school system for their services at three and I would see a therapist give a kid all kinds of credit and then sometimes he wouldn't even qualify for speech Therapy, And you would think there is no way this kid is going to be functional in a preschool classroom, regardless of uh, any diagnosis that he has or doesn't have, because this therapist has overestimated his abilities. And guess what? She just knocked him out of eligibility because she wasn't really looking at true language development, not just a word count, not just... Uh, he's, you know, to infinity and beyond, che- you know, I'm checking off phrases, you know, hopefully, and, and that's just a, that's just a really uh, oversimplified example that that didn't happen. But when a kid really has lots and lots of phrases like that, we have to be so careful again, so that we're meeting them where they are. And this, this affects intervention, but it really affects assessment too. And so that if we don't assess accurately, when we're looking at these things, we can really uh, shortchange a kid and not let him get the services that he's really, really going to need. So that's certainly something that we uh, need to watch out for. Okay, so the second part we said here with, uh, we talked about with syntax or this uh, language form, we talked about the length piece. Now let's talk about the early grammar piece. And I'll just say, Lots of us in early intervention don't get here with kids because we're working on all these pre-linguistic things. And then once they start to talk, we just, then we're working on the utterance link piece that we've already, you know, we're bumping them up to phrases. So this, this might seem a little picky to you if you are an SLP and you're primarily in early intervention. But thankfully, this show reaches therapists who also work in uh, preschool settings. And so you do have to think about what are these next little uh, language goals expressively that I need to look at for this child and part of this really will be syntax and it will be looking at plurals looking at verb tenses uh, gender pronouns now you might think about gender pronouns here as a part of semantics and they are but I kind of think about them and explain them to parents as part of that early grammar because they sort of get it when a kid starts to make errors with those things when he confuses his and hers and he and she um, so that's certainly something that we look at here too and even those little words that come in as children start to form sentences as they you know in typical development we start to hear kids primarily speak in sentences at that third birthday and so we will see words like conjunctions so uh, things like and and but as children start to join ideas and even join their sentences to have more complex utterances but we'll also see those other little words like the and uh and 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 so those kinds of words become important as children increase their vocabularies and start to really uh, have longer and longer and longer uh, utterances that they use so syntax why is syntax really important it's because it makes kids sound and seem older <laughs> like they're typically developing peers and honestly like they're really talking and so a lot of times when kids are just popping out single words we love it but when it gets to the point that they're doing some phrases some two and three word combinations and particularly when they are skilled enough to start to do novel word combinations so when they take two words uh, from their existing vocabularies that that you that they've said as single words and then they combine those words that is true language generation there and true phrase generation it's not just something that they've echoed or imitated from a show or imitated from a book or even imitated from you it's something that they have generated on their own and so we syntax is such an important 
part of uh, language development. And again, as early interventionists, we think about this a lot with phrases, but sometimes we don't really take it to the next step or explain to parents why that's really, really important. All right, so let me give you some, um, I, I forgot to give you the milestones on semantics. We'll do that in a minute. Well, I'll just save that. I'll save that for when we get to the next piece. All right, so we looked at semantics or uh, vocabulary development, and we looked at the second piece, which is utterance length and early grammar or syntax. And the third area that we need to look at for communication uh, is so important for our, our little friends with autism or red flags for autism, and it's pragmatics or the language use or communicative functions. And I've already talked about it a couple of times, so this won't be a surprise, but we have to look at how kids use the words that they say. Remember that example I gave you about banana? The child could say banana when it was on her toy, but she could not do it when she went to the kitchen. She loved bananas, by the way, so one of her favorite foods. She could not ask mom for a banana, or she could not answer or respond when mom said, what do you want to eat? What, tell me, what do you want? Why are you crying? Are you hungry? Do you want, she couldn't do that. So those two other uh, functions there, she could label, but she could not request, and she couldn't uh, answer. And so using words is such a challenge for lots of our kids with autism. And again, I hear it over and over where, parent, where therapists and parents will email me about it and say, I don't understand. She has all these words, but what's missing? What's missing? What's missing? It's pragmatics. So this is what we have to really work on. Now, as a therapist, you need to know that there are 15 different communicative functions that a child uses between 24 and 36 months. And again, because we're looking at a developmental model, not a behavioral model, we want, we want to stick close to that. Even though our little friends with autism learn language differently, we, we always want to be focused on how can I help them, again, not just get these rote phrases and not just get these, these little bits and pieces of language, these little splinter skills. I want, I want to rev up their system and, and shore up their weaknesses so much that they really are generating their own language. They really know, and again, not just from a vocabulary standpoint, but from a pragmatic standpoint, that they can use their words that they have to do a variety of things. Uh, things and to accomplish a variety of purposes in their everyday uh, interactions with other people. And so listed there on your handout, and I don't think I've mentioned the handout yet. Um, if you are watching and you are a therapist, when you purchase CE credit for this course for only $5, you get a one-page, sometimes two, but this show is a one-page handout, a summary of information. And it's really cool because you can use this as part of your parent education with families and uh copy this information for parents and it's a good idea for you as a therapist just to build your own library of resources and so I always kind of think about that when we're designing uh, the PDF for the show so look at um, what those 15 functions are and you'll see that at the very bottom here of your handout there um, so let's just talk about what these 15 language functions are and I think this is so important again as SLPs because uh, I, I, I have in my career been so blessed to see children for a second opinion or third opinion or 15th opinion sometimes. And so I'll re I get the honor of reading reports from a lot of different providers. And, you know, pragmatics, this is an area where I just don't see too much about this in reports. And so I'll know that this is an area that a real Every day, on the floor, in, in the school, SLPs aren't using like we should be. And so let's go through these 15 functions, and I want you as a therapist to think about your little guys on your own caseload that you might have not done a lot of, of looking at pragmatics and teasing out, you know, pragmatically, what communicative functions does he have and what does he not have? And the reason this is so important is this is what you'll be able to talk to parents about. You'll be able then to use some really, really specific examples. So let's just read through these 15 and talk about these real quick. Attention call, uh, attention seeking or calling out others. This is when a kid uses a word to get someone else's attention or to, again, call for um, just 
cough or whatever he needs here. And so does the child make noise or use the word uh, to get your attention? And so let me just say, I'm reading this too from the autism workbook that I've already told you about it. And if you happen to have that already, this excellent chart for assessing uh, pragmatic skills is uh, actually begins on page 140 and so we're looking at the pragmatic piece on 141 and 142 and so the next communicative function here is going to be requesting so how does he request things that he wants or, or even request actions or assistance and so uh, and also how does he request when you, he wants you to stop <laughs> so that cessation is what we call that professionally or reoccurrence so when he wants more of something how does he request that does he use a word for it does he use a gesture for it and again let me say kids always learn these communicative functions non-verbally first and so next show when we start to talk about the treatment, we'll talk about how we get all of these things going non-verbally first. And so if you are a parent or a therapist and looking at this list and thinking about a specific child, you might kind of look at, okay, does she can't say a word for this yet, but she does use this function just with a gesture or with facial expression or with some other way that she does this. And so I think that's such an important thing too. And kids with autism so often have difficulty with gestures like we talked about last week in show uh, 407 about imitation. And actually that's one of the diagnostic criteria for autism is they have a lot of difficulty with nonverbal communication. So when I see a kid who I think, oh, she doesn't have a word for this yet, but look, her mom and dad understand it because this is the gesture, this is the body language she's using. That's outstanding to me. That is such a strength that we need to reinforce and, and, and really help a child learn how to acquire more of those nonverbal things because, again, that's, that's how we communicate and how she will communicate throughout her whole life using those kinds of things. So just because you or listening to me talk about this and you say, well, now he doesn't ask me for this, but he, but I know he wants this because he'll, he'll do this. That nonverbal piece is really, really important too. So I wanted to mention that. All right. The third function here is requesting information. So does a child raise his voice at the, the last word in a phrase or instead of saying milk, does she say milk? You know, that little intonation rise there, that prosodic rise, so that you know that she's asking a question there. And so that requesting information, even if she's not saying, Mommy, could I have some more milk, please? <laughs> she's still using that, and you're still hearing that. And so that you know that that's, she's acquired that uh, communicative function. The next one is to reject, protest, or complain. So does a child have a way to refuse you without an all-out scream? You know, is he using a gesture with his hand out or a turn away or something there? Responding and acknowledging. Does a child pay attention when you're talking to him or calling him? Does he say something like, yeah, or huh? Or is he just looking? Is he doing it non-verbally? That's okay, uh, too. We'll teach them the word for that later, but we've got to get it in non-verbally first. And I keep jumping to treatment because I'm a, I'm a treatment kind of therapist, but let's just, I'm going to try to make myself just run through the rest of these so that you hear them, and we'll talk about the treatment piece in next show. The next function is informing or drawing attention to something. Does he have a way to get your attention? So he initiates that joint attention piece. Does he have a way to say, look, or hey, or, you know, get, get you to notice uh, what he's doing? Um, the next one is commenting on an action or an object, and this could be by labeling it or describing it. So this is where our labeling piece goes in. A lot of our little guys with autism, that's their only communicative function. They are super at labeling, but beyond that, it kind of falls apart. Answering, does a child answer verbally or choose between two items? If you ask him, do you want milk or juice? Does he know to pick one of those, or is he just saying milk or juice, you know, repeating your whole thing that you've said there? When a kid does that he really doesn't understand that you you were offering two different choices here you know he's, he's just echoing so you've got to really again work on that receptive language piece so that he understands how to make that choice the next communicative function social routines so does he say words like thank you or sorry or please even greetings like hi and bye those kinds of things the next one now these from here on down are really 
functions that typically developing children get when they are closer to three. So as an early interventionist, you know, these seem really higher level to us <laughs> when we are looking at this little uh, set. But do they give opinions? So it, this would even be for a kid who, when you change his dirty diaper, you know, he says, ooh, or phew, or, you know, ooh, stinky, or it even does a little gesture like, you know, that's that stinks. So any of those little opinions or, or yucky, if he says a word like that, uh, or uh, even a nonverbal little um, way to express that. A a expressing feelings comes next. So does a child use words to tell you about something that's happened? Is he learning to recognize and label emotions? And again, this is higher level stuff for those of us who have a lot of nonverbal kids, uh, especially at the beginning. But, the but these are things that as preschool speech-language pathologists, and again, I want to say, as with kids with higher functioning autism, if you sometimes we don't get those kids in early intervention programs or in preschool because they're talking well enough that nobody, a lot of times parents know something's wrong or something's off, as parents will sometimes say, but they just don't quite know what it is. Um, and so um, sometimes we don't get those higher level kids in early intervention because our colleagues who work in uh, Public school or private school will get those kids when they're in kindergarten and nobody's really even told mom or or said, hey, there's a problem with his language development. Mom just might think that these are really individualistic differences that this child has without realizing. You know, she might think, oh, he's really stubborn and he's really fussy and he just talks about what he wants to talk about without really, really knowing that, gosh, there's a communicative difference here. Um, so, so giving opinions, expressing feelings, relating information. So this would be a kid that when something happens in another room and you go, you go in and you say, what happened? How, how, how did, why is the lamp on the floor? He can give you an explanation uh, for that. Um, telling stories, that certainly is related to that. A kid might tell you what happened with their friend at preschool that day or what happened when they went to grandma's house. Narrating play, can a child talk about what's going on during play, during narration, uh, using that narrative form? So does, when you're playing with toys together, does he make his people talk? And you can see how this is so related to play skills. Back in whatever show that was, 405 maybe, where we were talking about how important that is for language development and for kids to use their language while they're playing. Uh, you can see that this, this skill, how, how we're going to kind of, uh, it's kind of double credit here. We want to look at it as a pragmatic skill, but we're also looking at it as a play skill. And then the last uh, pragmatic function here was to instruct others. So does a kid boss you around <laughs> using his words? Does he tell you what to do? And so those are all the 15 um communicative functions or pragmatic functions that we want to look at so so when with pragmatics you know our goal again is to get a kid as many different reasons or ways that he can use words or even like we talked about non-verbally first to get that communication going and so i gave you that example with banana but we want to we want to think about that and give you that give parents that example we don't just want him to say milk when he sees that, you know, when you're doing flashcards or whatever he likes or, you know, even maybe one of his little toys that had milk, you know, it doesn't, it, that's totally different with him labeling that than when he's able to go in the kitchen and ask you for that. Or if he's crying from the back seat in the car seat and you have no idea what's wrong and you say, what do you want? You know, we want him to be able to say milk and tell us there, you know, what's going on with that. So, uh, you've got to really look at that. And so uh, oh, let me say one more thing about pragmatics. So many of our little guys with autism are habitual non-responders. <laughs> and that means that they don't react when their names are called. They don't take turns in play. They don't participate in conversation with others. And a lot of times parents will look at that as strictly this is something with talking. But like we, talk, like we said before, this is just part of that. Um, where, where one skill really, really impacts lots of different areas of development. And so we have to um, help them learn to respond to their names and help them learn how to take turns in play and help them learn how to participate with you with that back and forth uh, exchange there. It's not, th that really isn't a talking problem. These other things come first. And, and again, you can hear me talk about pragmatics here, and you're thinking, well, I'm going to teach her how to call people, and I'm going to teach her all these things, when really she doesn't even have the basic ability to do that yet because you haven't uh, gone back and looked at, 
at those prerequisite skills. So that's what I wanted to say about how important pragmatics are. And so this is, again, where kids look like they're talking to themselves. They look like they're not communicating. It's the pragmatic piece that's missing. And so that's how we explain this to parents. And that's how we help parents understand uh, what the problem is there. So as I've talked about these big areas here, vocabulary development, utterance length, and early grammar, and then communicative functions, that's getting a little hard, isn't it? So those kinds of concepts or thinking about language conceptually from this perspective is a little more complex, but we still have to think about direct teaching for these things. And again, it can be a little tougher, but that's all right because that's what uh, this series is about. So let's really quickly look at, I'm not even sure how much time we have left, but I want to go ahead and look at helping you assess and analyze where a child is. Because I know uh, from the emails I get at Teach Me to Talk, tons of you who are parents are just having to kind of go it alone with COVID dragging on now nearly a year where kids still aren't getting as many or maybe any direct services that they got before. So I know that some of you out there are parents and grandparents who comment <laughs> on all the YouTube videos and email me all the time. Um, I, I know that you're doing this. So let me walk you through how to analyze these pieces so that you will have a better idea. And let me just say, please know that this is, in my opinion, never a substitute for formal therapy. But when parents and grandparents work with kids at home, it's, it's the most important therapy. It's the most important piece that we can do. And as SLPs, one of the main things that we should be doing is certainly we're going to work with your kid and, and, and work with all the children on our caseloads directly. That's a really, really, really important piece that we should never let go. But we've also got to train parents how to do this too. And sometimes we think about just training parents for the intervention piece. But with my work at Teach Me to Talk, I have really learned that I've got to teach parents how to analyze this and how to assess this. And again, not in a real formal way like your SLP would, who has a master's degree in how communication skills develop. She spent six years, you know, her bachelor's degree for four years and then two more years beyond that for uh uh, her master's degree, but at the same time, you've got to have this information too to know what you're looking for. So if you have gotten autism workbook, this starts on page 140, and we're going to go back and look at these three big areas, and let me tell you what to look for, and when you know, okay, I don't have to worry about this, I don't have to prioritize this goal, or when you say, gosh, this is what we should be working on, this is where we should be, this is where I'm going to meet this child where she is, and work on what's functional, but you can't get there until you analyze it. So, the first big area was semantics or vocabulary content. So, this is going to be not only how many words she has, like we talked about. We can't really do this just by looking at word count. We've got to categorize these words. And so, go back and think about parts of speech from English class. So, how many of her, start with the word list. And let me say, these are words that a child says completely on her own. So, if a kid is still at the imitative phase that we talked about back in show 407, you're not going to be able to do this yet because you need to really be focusing on spontaneous vocabulary, what she can say without hearing the word from you or somebody else. So take a look, T take a language sample, which just really means you're going to listen to all the words she says and you're going to jot it down. And this is really easy to do now with phones. You may just kind of keep your phone and keep a note going with that. And so divide those up into nouns. And so those are names of people's places or things. Verbs, so those are action words like go and walk and open and sleep. Descriptive words, so these are like your adjectives and your adverbs. So words like hot and cold. Uh, words like dirty, even uh, color words, words like fast or slow, um, th those kinds of descriptive words. The next category would be prepositions, and so these are words that uh, show location, so words like up and down and in and out and off and on. Next would be your social function words like thank you, please, uh, sorry, even words like for greetings should go there, and then pronouns, so words that we use in the place of a noun, so words like me and my and mine and you and he and she and it. So take a little language sample 
And as an SLP, that makes sense to you. But as a parent, get a word list of what she's really said and then divide them up into these categories. Now, the truth is vocabulary development is always going to be a big part of any child's plan, whether they be typically developing or uh, have special needs with learning language because that's what little kids do. They're learning more and more and more and more. And so even if even parents of typically developing kids are kind of thinking about how many more words can I teach him? He doesn't know the word for this. And so everybody is going to need to work on semantics or vocabulary development forever, right? But how do you know to prioritize this if you're an SLP? or a parent, you know, who's trying to work on this and you're your child's primary therapist at home. So here's what I do. And this is a very simplistic guide and it is just based on my personal experience here. And there's some backup research with this as well. But if a toddler, we know, well, let's just look at the milestones. We know that we want typically developing toddlers are using uh, by 18 months, they have about 50 different words. Now, in early intervention, we look at the whole of kids, not just an average. So an average 18-month-old has about 50 words and is starting to combine words. But when we look at it from, okay, we want to take the whole realm of typical development, even kids who are slower to develop language, they're not they're not late talkers. They're, they're still just kind of in that bottom range of normal. So we want kids, sometimes, so we bump out that 50-word requirement we bumped that out to 24 months to take care of the, the uh, kids who are going to be later talking within the realm of normal. I, I hope you understood that. So when we get this, so when we look at this, when I, I want a kid to have, uh, you know, 50 to 100 words there before, uh, before I'm, let me just say, let me just stop that. We are gonna, we're going to work on vocabulary no matter what, but because that's the nature of this, I am just stumbling all over. Let me just tell you what the book says. Unless we have about 100 different nouns, 25 different verbs, 25 different descriptors, 10 prepositions and social function words, and a few different pronouns, I'm going to work on vocabulary development. And, and like we said before, all kids are going to work on that. But that's just kind of a guideline. Uh, children typically developing two-year-olds usually have 200 to 300 words. And again, if that's a surprise to you, that's an average there. As an SLP, if that's surprising you, I want to just say the thing you need to do after you watch this show is go back and look at your milestones, not for that we use for late talkers and kids with language delays, but the typically developing milestones. And by 36 months, kids usually have 900 to 1,000 words. And so until a kid has a ton of words, we are going to work on um, vocabulary development with that with that child. And so go back and look at that. And the older a kid is, the, the more words that he needs. The second big area here with vocabulary or with uh, language form was syntax and utterance length by 24 months. Um, and that's this is the, outline, the outlier here. We want kids combining words by 27 months, three word phrases, and short sentences by 36 months. And remember, those are the later kind of milestones we use. So if, if we have a kid who's two and three and not combining words, we know that utterance length is going to be a big deal. And so we are going to have to look at syntax or language form for those kids. Same thing with uh, early grammar with those more advanced word forms. And you can just take a look at this from your handout. We're looking at verb tenses, plurals, gender pronouns, conjunctions, and articles. Those were the big ones uh, from early grammar. And then lastly, how do we uh, look at pragmatics? We just uh, look at how kids use the words that they're uh, saying. How do they use them? And so as a therapist, that's going to be pretty hard for you to get an accurate report of that from parents because a lot of times parents, uh, they don't mean to um, inaccurately report what their child is doing. They just don't really understand what you're asking. And and we as parents, oh my goodness, we all err on the side of when there's somebody that we love, oh, we give them benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt. And me as an optimist, I've always got my rose-colored glasses on about a child and always want to see every single positive thing that I can. And sometimes we don't back it up and look at, oh gosh, he's not really doing that. Oh, 
oh, I wish he was doing that, but I can't really give him credit for that. And so as a therapist, you really have to do a lot of this pragmatic assessment just by observation in your your first several sessions. And so uh, my point here isn't, again, to slam parents or say that they don't know what they're talking about. They are always always going to know their kid better than we do but at the same time they may not understand exactly what you're asking and so you do have to do some observation particularly when you are looking at um, pragmatics with this so that you can see how a kid really 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 is using the words that he has all right so that's going to be it for today we looked at these three big areas of language development here that we are going to assess and analyze and so if you are a parent uh, start looking at that use your handout go ahead and you know use the five bucks to get yourself a copy of this information so that you can see how your child is doing with that because we want to prepare so that in the next show 409 i'm going to show you not only what has maybe gone wrong that a child needs to work on but what you need to do about to help that child make more progress with language development all right that's it for today i'm laura mize pediatric speech language pathologist and thank you so much for joining me for teach me to talk the podcast Talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.